Hello, this is Pastor Ariel, and I just want to tell you how pleased I am to know that you are finding this podcast to be a blessing for you. Please remember to subscribe in whatever platform you're listening to Devotional. This way you will be notified every time a new episode gets published. And don't forget to click on the links for all the free resources to get the most out of this podcast. Also, if a specific episode has been of special blessing to you, please remember to share with your friends and loved ones. Lastly, please consider becoming a regular supporter of this podcast. Even a 99 cents a month contribution would be much appreciated. And now, here's today's episode. Welcome to Devotional. This is lesson number three and we are on day number three for Monday, January 14th. I have to be honest with you, this uh, week has put a strain on me as a pastor as a Bible student, uh, this challenge that I placed on myself to um, focus on the, the reasons why Jesus introduces himself the way he does to the churches has, has stretched me. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why I have been able to post, like I usually do, you know, a, a day or two ahead or on the day that the, the lessons are due, they're usually up and running by one o'clock in the morning. So, but that's because I didn't want to produce something that is incomplete. And Thyatira, I gotta tell you, was one one of the ones that delayed me the most uh, because of some of the details that are presented. Um, Thyatira, Jesus introduces himself to this church as the Son of God, the one that has eyes like flame of fire, and the one that has feet like fine brass. And of course, you know, the principle of we look in the Old Testament for this imagery and see what, what we find. And Son of God was not that difficult, except that. The lesson tells us that all of these introductions of Jesus to the seven churches come from chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. But you know what? Not all of them do. And I didn't know this. And so there's new things that I stumbled on as I was trying to apply these principles. Son of God is not in in Revelation chapter 1. Actually, what you do have in Revelation chapter 1 is not Son of God, but in Revelation 1.13, you have son of man. So that began to get my wheels spinning. And I began to see that all the descriptions of Jesus come in pairs, so to speak, some explicit and some implicit. Son of God, of course, is complementary to son of man. It speaks about the two natures of Jesus. Eyes like flames of fire. You have two elements here, eyes and fire combined. And uh, feet like fine brass. Brass is a composite metal made both of bronze and tin. Um, Or zinc, if you do brass, bronze is copper and tin. Either way, the translation goes, whichever one one goes, it's still an, an amalgamated metal. It's a metal made of two separate original metals. So you have this ABC. Uh, the Son of God, Son of Man. Uh, the eyes and fire and the fine brass. 
feet of fine brass, which uh, implicitly presents a, a, a metal that is actually made of two blended so well, you can't tell where one begins and the other ends. So I began to think, you know, this is just thoughts. Of course, you can certainly disagree. But these are some of the things that I came as I prayed, studied, and looked at other piece, uh, portions of scriptures. Like the Son of God. Um, as I said, this is not used uh, anywhere in chapter 1. Actually, you will not find this phrase in the rest of the book of Revelation. This is the only time it is used. So for me, it's significant that in chapter uh, in chapter 3, um, where chapter 2, sorry, uh, verse 18 with Thyatira is, is, begins, um, the phrase Son of God is only used here, but I believe it's complementary to Revelation chapter 1. I do believe that it's pointing back to Revelation chapter 1, and it's presenting these two natures that, natures that inhabited and were blended, united in Jesus. When Jesus would, uh, his favorite term to define himself in the Gospels was Son of Man, not Son of God. Though he certainly did not deny it, and at, at times, in very few times, he would use that. His preferred um, way to describe himself or identify himself was Son of Man. So these are complementary, the Son of Man, Son of God, from Revelation 1, and then the, the, the church in Thyatira. Uh, in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, I'm going to turn there real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 16, Paul tells us, that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. It's a mystery. It's a mystery because you can't really say, you know, how how can you have Jesus be fully God and be fully human? The, the blending of these two natures, the human nature with the divine nature, in such a way that you can't say that it begins here. I mean, Jesus would say things like, I'm hungry, uh, I hunger. Uh, Jesus would, you know, exhibit exhaustion. Uh, how could the, how could God be exhausted? But there it is, and Paul calls it a mystery. Jesus could raise the dead. Jesus could do all of these things, and granted, he did not do it in his own power. Um, in Colossians, it tells us that he had emptied himself of all of those divine prerogatives, yet he still could, and he could um, forgive sins, uh, something that only God could do, and Jesus ascribed himself that to have had that prerogative, that authority. So anyways, um, this Son of God title is uh, complementary to the Son of God title found in, in Revelation chapter 1, and it's a mystery. It's as far as we can go in trying to explain it. The Bible simply presents it to us. Now, these eyes like flames of fire. Same thing, same concept. You have eyes and fire. Two different concepts placed together. And in 1 Samuel 1 9, um, we're going to go there again. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 9, we, we have this um, historical statement made. It says, Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he spoke thus Come, let us go to the seer. For he who is now called a prophet was formerly called a seer, someone who could see, someone who had eyes to see what you and I cannot typically see. Um, so the, the imagery of eyes points to a prophetic gift, a prophetic manifestation. And the fire in, in the scriptures, if we go to a passage like Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11, 
We read the following, John the Baptist saying, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you have this imagery of eyes that at least in the Old Testament uh, were used to describe individuals, humans, who were given this gift of seeing. And we'll get to in just a little bit what is it that they saw. But they were called seers, and later on they were called prophets. Now, it, the, the way, the, the reason they were able to it, it manifest this um, gift of prophecy, and the way I say it is intentional, um, is because of the New Testament, right? Who gave gifts to the church? Who gave the gift of prophecy? Through whom was the gift of prophecy given? Through the Holy Spirit. So you have eyes and fire, uh, and Jesus has this. And of course, Jesus, the title of him being Messiah and Christ, Messiah and Christ are, is the same word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Greek is the, um, uh, Christ is the Greek word, but they both mean anointed, anointed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and he was, he manifested this prerogative of prophets he could see. Now, what is it that the prophets could see? Um, the entire Bible really is written by prophets. The Holy Spirit would give them insights. Daniel, Hosea, Isaiah, Samuel, you know, Moses, Abraham, all of these individuals received the title of prophet as well. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it, you could accurately say that all of Scripture really is a prophetic document because it was prophets that wrote it, individuals that through the Holy Spirit were, able, were shown things, were able to see things that we with our own human abilities would never have been able to see on our own. On our own. But what is it that we could see? What, what could a prophet see? What could these individuals that were used to develop and create this book or collection of books we call the Bible, what could they see? Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God, the collective writings of the prophets, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and we looked at that already in our previous church, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Here it is. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom, to whom we must give account. All of these symbols uh, actually fit wonderfully together. The more I began to just let the scripture guide through these symbols, the more I saw the harmony between the two of them. The eyes, at least in the passages that we looked at, were used to describe the prophets, the individuals that were given the ability to see. And who gave them this ability? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is symbolized by, by fire. And of course, I, I use in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, but it, an even more a prominent passage is Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Remember that? When the Holy Spirit descended with power upon the early church and the apostles. And what did they have above their heads? Tongues of fire. So this, in the, this revelation of Jesus as the one that has these eyes of fire is, is describing the attributes that Jesus can see 
the intents, the motives of the heart. He is not fooled by outward behavior. He is not fooled by our justifying our compromises. He can see the heart, the divided heart, the uncommitted heart, the heart that wants to live with one foot in the world and the other one with him. And Jesus says, I can see through your facade. I can see through this charade of quote-unquote worship that you're trying to bring to me. And it's nothing new. The messages to the churches is very similar to the churches that God in previous occasions in the Old Testament and at times in the New had used prophets to call his people out from their uh, phony compromised way of attempting to relate to God and inviting them to a committed, loving, surrendered relationship. So we have already looked at the, the two concepts of Son of God, Son of Man that are implied in the book of Revelation, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Then the eyes and flames of fire. And then the last one, that this is the one that stumped me. <laughs> this is the one that I am still not fully, completely satisfied with. But I'll share with you what I have. Otherwise, I may not be able to do this episode until next week. Um, the one that has feet like brass or uh, bronze. Now, like I said earlier, the only really thing that I could find is, number one, that it is this imagery of the feet of bronze. Uh, most commentators and the references that I could find uh, point to Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel sees another being, glorious and magnificent, that has these attributes, the eyes of fire and the feet of bronze, among other things. In, Daniel chapter, in, the, in the book of Daniel, there's more, many more details given um, than are just here in the book of Revelation. But the feet, I, I began to look at what was done in the Old Testament and what was here in the book of Revelation in the context of the previous imagery. And I began to see that two patterns, right? Son of God, Son of Man, these two natures combined. Eyes and fire, the human and the divine combined. The Son of Man, the Son of God combined. And the feet of brass, you have these two metals that are also combined. Combined in such a way that when you look at them, you would think that this is just a, a unified pure metal when actually it's two that have been blended so carefully, so tightly that you can no longer separate them. Once you have blended them together, they cannot be separated. And that, that speaks to me about Jesus. But why the feet, right? Why, why was this imagery used to describe the feet? I'm going to share with you these final concluding thoughts after this short break. That was a lot that I shared. I hope that um, this gives you food for thought, um, food for uh, questions. I mean, I would definitely love if you have questions, if something that I've said has not made sense or is incomplete, please uh, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to engage in dialogue with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, what can we make out of all of this imagery, right? These uh, implied or uh, explicit or implied it sets of twos that we see here in the, the church of Thyatira, son of God, son of man, eyes and fire and bronze, which is copper and tin or zinc combined, whichever one you want to use. Um, this is what I thought. All of these uh, come together in this beautiful, harmonious story. And there's a, one passage that I did not share with you. 
Um, it's from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, and Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. But we're going to go to the original one in Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. And it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who, pro who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Powerful, beautiful um, a prophecy. And of course, you know whose feet they're referring to. Paul uses that to refer to our feet as evangelists, as sharing, sharers of the gospel. But that's because Jesus in John chapter, in the gospel of John tells us that as the Father has sent me, so send I you. But the original beautiful feet belong to Jesus. And this is where I think all of this one story, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, all of these things come together beautifully. And I'm going to read it to you. And I think you'll know exactly. Uh, I don't have to read much before things will hopefully begin to connect in your mind regarding all the things we've talked about. Jesus being God, the Son of God and the Son of Man combined, and how he exhibited these, uh, this combination in healing and forgiving um, doing powerful things on behalf of humanity. But I believe that one of the biggest miracles that Jesus could do was forgiving and restoring, casting out the darkness out of people's hearts and bringing the presence of the Spirit, the presence of His love within the heart. The eyes and fire, the prophetic ability to see past the charades, down into the hearts, the intents and the motives. And of course, all of this, this blend, this inseparable blend, as a human being, he could empathize and feel our anguish, feel our hurt, and as God provides solutions to heal and restore that those ailments. All of this come together in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3. When the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Wow, these people were like FBI. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such, that such a one should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down on the, and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. When they continued asking him, they raised himself, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, all of this is combined in this story. 
You have Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man make this powerful statement, go and sin no more. I don't accuse you. She was caught in adultery. How could Jesus not accuse someone caught in adultery? She was. This was not a false accusation. It was a false facade, but the accusation was true. How could Jesus say, I don't condemn you? Because he had forgiven that sin. He had forgiven many sins. Actually, when this woman breaks an alabaster flask, and this is in Luke chapter 7, um, Jesus tells a parable about two debtors, one that owed a lot and one that, owed, one that owed very little. And Jesus makes this point, he who is forgiven much loves much, implying this woman had been forgiven many, many sins. Only God could do that. Why would Jesus do such a thing? His heart went out for the human race because he took upon himself our humanity. He could understand the desire for acceptance and longing and value and worth and purpose and meaning. All of these things he could relate to. And we have to be careful, right? Um, it's a mystery. I can't go fully out and say it was like this. Um, just like we talked about the, the blending of brass or bronze. It's two metals blended so close together that you cannot tell where one begins and the other ends. So we have to tread lightly. It's a mystery, Paul tells us. God manifested in the flesh. But it's not a mystery that we cannot understand any of his attributes. The reason Jesus, Jesus did this was to help us understand his eyes are like the eyes of fire. He could see the intents and motives of the heart. He didn't need someone to tell him, they're trying to trick you. He could see through the facade. I mean, uh, right off the bat, right? It's so blatant in, in the narrative. Um, they bring in a woman caught in adultery. You can't have commit adultery with yourself by yourself. You need a partner. Where's the other person, right? How could just one person be caught? Jesus can see through this entire thing from end, from the beginning to the end. And yet... Even though he sees, like we read in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, there's nothing hidden in his sight. Yet what Jesus sees provokes in him compassion and a desire to forgive and a desire to confront and a desire to lead to repentance. What a, what a tremendous waste of grace that day, right? Who among you who is without sin, throw away, the, throw the stone. Go ahead, throw it. You throw it first. No one dares to do that. The Bible tells us that they walked away because their conscience just gripped them. Uh, they, they couldn't do this. Uh, so Jesus is left alone. Jesus is left alone with the woman because others were convicted by their conscience. That's John 8, 9. Convicted because of the words of Jesus. And I, I mean, it's, it's, you know, a bit of speculation I wouldn't say it's too much speculation as to what did Jesus write on the on this on the dust on the on the sand. What I imagine he wrote is what he could see in each of their hearts specific things. And he didn't shame any of them publicly. He did not treat them the way they treated this woman. They shamed her publicly. They brought in and proclaimed loudly what she had done. Jesus could have done the same for them. What a savior that we have. He doesn't treat us the way we treat each other. He treats us the way he is, love. He's a redemptive savior. And he saves those that we would think, man, Jesus, pick up some of those stones and throw it at these individuals. He didn't. 
Actually, in my thinking, his heart probably ached. He could see their sins, and he revealed it to them. You have need of forgiveness. I can forgive you your sins. I can cleanse you for these sins. These individuals were content with dropping their stones, but walking away. Walking away. The only one that was left was the one that had not come to church in a very, very long time. Actually, when you would look at this woman, you would say, before this encounter, she was spiritually dead. She didn't go to the temple. She didn't care about God or anything like that. Her profession, she loved it. The money, the glamour, the attention, the gifts, all those things. I mean, she probably had political connections. Who knows, right? We do know that the alabaster uh, flax that she bought was very expensive. It was worth a, a man's salary for an entire year. She could just drop cash like that. She was spiritually dead. And the day she met Jesus, she was going to be fully dead. So this idea of the, the God who sees is a God that does not see to shame, to bring... Um, disrepute to accuse Jesus could have accused everyone including this woman yet his question to this woman was where are your accusers is no one condemning you well neither do I go and sin no more I see more than what these people see I see your past I see your mistakes and I forgive it all I love you and it is my love that will empower you to sin no more if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Use this as an evidence to convince you you ought to love me more. That's a wonderful insight that you get from the book of Revelation. At least for me. And like I said, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. All I'm using is the principles that we said we ought to use. And what I've discovered were more and more beautiful pictures and revelations of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God who forgives our sins. He is the Son of Man who understands what it feels like to be tempted in all things. Even though yet He was without sin, He can sympathize and He's compassionate. He understands our plight. He has eyes of fire. He sees through our facades. He sees through our empty words. Like Jesus says, this people draw near, draws near me with their mouth, but their hearts are far away from me. In vain do they worship me. He sees that. And though he rejects our worship, he doesn't reject us. He desires us. He desires to cleanse our hearts from our idols. This is one of the promises that I remember going through the Bible. And like I said in previous podcasts, you need to go through the Bible. I'm, I mean, I'm, and I'm not going to say at least once. You need to go through the Bible at least 10 times. Because <laughs> then you won't stop. Because when I say once, people say, okay, I read it through once and I'm done. You should read the Bible through till the day you die. Let's put it that way. And I remember when I came through this promise in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's Jesus. He understands our need. And what he comes to us is with these beautiful feet. These beautiful feet that bring to us the best news we could ever hear. Where are your accusers? Is there no one able to accuse you? Of course not, because they are accusing themselves. No human can accuse another human of the very things that they do themselves. The only one that could accuse is here to forgive and redeem, to cleanse, to remove the filthiness, to remove the idols, to take the stony, rebellious, insensitive heart, disobedient heart that we have, and incapable for us to change, ever change it. And Jesus says, I will take that, and I will give you a soft, tender heart, a heart that weeps over your past rebellions, a heart that hates what you have done, that hates what you used to love. In, in verses that, uh, further down in verse 31, it says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. That's what a tender heart does. Now, because we have tasted the love and grace of God, sin begins to taste for what it really is, a destructive, toxic element that the only time we partake of it, we only experience misery and wretchedness. Why would we want that? That's the miracle of transformation. And Jesus wants to give this gift to Thyatira, a church that is in desperate need. It's one of the ones, the longest letter, and one that receives some of the, the strongest rebukes. There's another one that actually is a strong contender, but we will get to that church later. Right now, we want to focus on the feet of Jesus. The feet of Jesus were probably the feet that Mary Magdalene saw that day at church, and she recognized them everywhere she could. She recognized them at this event for this gentleman named Simon the leper. I talked I reference to this a little while ago. He is the one that Jesus gave that parable to. And the reason this man became indignant, the reason Judas Iscariot and the disciples became, became indignant is not simply because Mary broke this alabaster flax on the head of Jesus and on his feet. It's because she was weeping and cleansing the, the dirt of the soil from the feet of Jesus with her tears and kissing his feet. Because to her, those had been the most beautiful feet that ever existed. And these are the same feet that are coming to this church in Thyatira. And through the various means, the various channels in God's providence, including this podcast, these are the feet through which Jesus tries to walk into your life, to speak the good news. Your God reigns. Your Savior is alive. He understands you. He is the Son of Man and the Son of God. He understands what we go through. He sees beyond the facade. He sees our history. And it's not just that He sees our own mistakes, but how other people's choices, how other people's cruelty has affected us. And maybe the hardness in our hearts, maybe the grudges and maybe the resentments and maybe the darkness in us is due to the fact that other people have done things to us. And He sees it all. And, and, and though he sees it all, and he sees our own mistakes that we have done on our own without anyone else's help, even though he sees it all, 
Today, his words are the same that he did to Mary. The accuser has been cast out of heaven. And there's no one other that could accuse you. And I don't accuse you. All I invite you is to receive my word of power to you. Go and sin no more. Will you receive these feet into your life? They're beautiful. They're precious. And God wants you to know that this podcast was just for you. From his heart to yours. You have a living Savior. His name is Jesus. He understands you. He loves you. And today, he offers you his forgiveness, his grace, his redemption. Hello, this is Pastor Ariel, and I hope you were blessed with today's episode of Devotional. It is my prayer this resource will inspire you to spend personal time studying God's Word, including using the study tool of our Sabbath School Quarterly. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to this podcast. This way, you will be notified each time a new episode is published. And don't forget to scroll down on the show's description and click on the links for all the free resources to get the best experience out of this podcast. Also, please remember to share with your friends through social media, be it Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or the one you use regularly. This way, they can also be blessed with this resource. Lastly, please consider becoming a financial supporter of this podcast. It would be much appreciated. This is Pastor Ariel inviting you to study the Bible with me again on our next episode of Devotional. Devotional.